I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. The views expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily the views of domestic and sexual abuse services. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. Today we have Elizabeth Alderson, who is a therapist at DASIS with us, and also Dan Moyle, who is our producer and board member and board president at DASIS, and he may be uh, expressing some views with us this morning as well. So welcome to the two of you, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you. Um, we're going to begin talking about, as we've always talked about, domestic violence and, and recognizing signs of things, but intimate partner violence, which people don't talk about as a as an entity in itself, but maybe as it applies to not just domestic situations, but people who are in intimate partnerships and how those things can um, perhaps become violent or how things can be presented, prevented from that happening. So, Elizabeth, maybe we'll just start with you and, and can we talk about what is intimate partner violence? Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's kind of like a definitional and kind of like word change that a lot of the larger entities at the national level in the United States, as well as like the international level, um, as well as like scholarly kind of research. Um, all of those entities use intimate partner violence because it's more specific than domestic violence. And it can mean completely different things, especially as the law and legal kind of definitions have changed over the years and really impacted society. So domestic violence is viewed as any violence that happens in the home. And it doesn't necessarily have to be between intimate partners. So an example is all three of us are here together. Um, And if Dan and I go over to your house and we get into either a physical or verbal argument, you could call 911 and Dan and I could get a domestic violence charge because our fight happened in a domestic dwelling in a home. But Dan and I are not in intimate partner relationships with each other, nor do we live in that home or in our relationship with you. And so that is kind of domestic violence is a very broad term and it's not specific to the populations we actually serve at DASIS or any of our partner agencies that are VOCA funded um, because we see domestic violence as intimate partner violence but that's a that's a specification that we kind of talk about internally because that would be really confusing to the public to to be to you know to say well I'm a domestic violence victim according to the courts and maybe the media and stuff like that but then to be told, well, you're not real, you know, mm-hmm. so it's kind of a confusing, which is why I don't think people talk about it as much. So if that's the broad domestic violence term, intimate partner violence is a type of domestic violence. 
But what intimate partner violence is, is exactly what it is. It's violence in between people who are, who are in an intimate relationship. And they don't have to be married. It could be any kind of an intimacy. It could be um, that you are currently dating, you were dating at some point in your life. It could be someone that um, you're talking to, but you're not really dating yet. It could be someone that you're hooking up with, but still not dating. Um, it could be all of those things, as long as you view that person as an intimate partner. Mm-hmm. And so it could be any of the violence that happens inside of that relationship. So in the broad kind of thinking, intimate partner violence is a type of domestic violence. And not all domestic violence is intimate partner violence. Does that kind of that very much simply it, right. make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, intimate partner violence, like I said, because of its very specific nature is what um, the World Health Organization, who talks about when they're talking about what we talk about on this podcast as domestic violence, they use that term intimate partner violence because it very specifically talks about the survivors that we're talking about. Um, So does, you know, so that's an international level. Um, The Center for Disease Control does a lot of research inside the United States. People think of the CDC for everything else, right? Diseases. And and intimate partner violence or domestic violence are not necessarily diseases, but they impact a person's health. Absolutely. And so the Center of Disease Control, the CDC, does research on intimate partner violence. That does make perfect sense because you're trying to prevent um, injury, death, any of those Mm -hmm. health-related issues, and absolutely this would be right up there at the forefront. Yeah, and it's it's important... um, to see, to see that again, it's, I tell people all the time, words matter and they Mm -hmm. really do because yes, this is getting very specific. And again, to call yourself a survivor of domestic violence is correct. You know, I don't want to disempower anyone. However, you label yourself as survivor. That is who you are. Um, for a lot of our survivors, um, domestic violence doesn't, doesn't define kind of what they experience because sometimes it wasn't in the home, mm-hmm. you know. Um, our teen survivors, oftentimes they experience intimate partner violence in their schools, but we don't call it, you know, educational violence, you know, instead of domestic because it wasn't right. in the domestic dwelling. Right. I don't know what you would call a, a school violence, you know. We kind of think of that as, as something different. Mm-hmm. And so what about all those times that it's not at home, when it's at work or it's at mm-hmm. the grocery store? And so intimate partner violence can really validate a survivor's experience of it is all relationships. It is all people. Kind of like you said before, you know, it's not that gender stereotype of a man and a woman where a man's the abuser and the woman's the victim. You know, we we clearly see that in survivors, that it that it's all people, it's all relationships. Um, but sometimes when words have been used over and over again, they can be really disvaluing um, to survivors. And that's not what we want to do. We want to empower survivors to to know that their story is their story. And right. however well, they label it is how they label it. You and, know? and that's important. Labels are always important. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking at um, domestic violence or intimate partner violence from the health aspect Um, Even if you take, so if you look at cancer, there are so many different kinds, Mm -hmm. and each kind would have its own prescription for treatment and to get better Mm -hmm. and to Mm -hmm. see what it is that's happening and 
and to then move forward from that. So um, I would I would think that being able to specifically label intimate partner violence among the domestic violences, which isn't that a sad thing to say how many of them there are, mm -hmm. is then going to lead those survivors into the right prescription, for lack of a better word, into the right treatments, into the right attitudes leading to their survival and thriving. Absolutely, because again, this is a language the state uses behind closed doors, right? Mm -hmm. In our funding as DASIS, we know when the when the grants say domestic violence, we know that they mean intimate partner violence because they have clearly defined what intimate partner violence is to us. But again, when the general public sees domestic violence and they either receive charges, you know, like somebody against somebody else. And so they're working, you know, with the courts or, you know, maybe, you know, someone was arrested for domestic violence or has told them they were a domestic violence survivor mm -hmm. and they tell them, hey, this local organization exists like DASIS mm -hmm. and they call us and we meet with them and we're setting up our intake and we're talking to them about, you know, I always ask the question, so what brought you here you know of course you a survivor is going to said something on the phone to our crisis intake person they might have said something briefly to me on the phone while we schedule the appointment but when we're sitting together what brought you here you know like kind of very openly tell me you know why here why now what's been going on and if the example is kind of like what i gave you me and my friend who have never been intimate together got into a physical fight you know and he or she hurt me and so i was referred to you it's heartbreaking on our end to say like you don't qualify for our services again because of that funding and that because Correct. domestic violence is so broad intimate partner is so selective and then the, the good thing is that, you know, that we don't just turn people away. We would never do that. We find the appropriate resources for people, which is why um, community resources and outreach for organizations like DASIS is so important. We have to know where to send people. Um, but it's heartbreaking to hear stories of, you know, pain and hurt and to be able to say, yes, that is domestic violence, but it's not intimate partner violence, which is what we serve. Well, and then also being able to address those mm -hmm or other issues that are there. So if you mm -hmm. know that your primary um, problem is intimate partner violence, but then there's also perhaps the children are involved, mm -hmm. perhaps other relatives, perhaps, you know, mm -hmm. other things like this. So multiple fronts mm -hmm. can be addressed while the primary front is addressed primarily, uh, for yeah. lack of a better word. Absolutely. And I, you, you bring up a great point. So if my partner and I and there is abuse happening, we are in an intimate partner relationship. And so we would be the primary survivor, or I would or they would, depending on which one of us was being abusive, right? One of us would be the primary survivor, but our children would still be survivors of intimate partner violence. They would be secondary survivors, mm -hmm. kind of like in your example of cancer, right? Only one person is battling cancer, but their whole family and friends are experiencing that right. as well, right? And so all of, you know, if I was the survivor, all of my friends, all of of my family, my children, my parents, they would all still be considered secondary survivors of intimate partner violence. And agencies like DASIS would still serve all of those secondary survivors at, because it's still intimate partner violence that they're experiencing. Absolutely. Right. Very good. And so are there prescriptions? Again, I'm, that's the same <laughs> word I used before, but things that people can use 
once they recognize that they are in an intimate partner violence situation to be able to begin to heal and to be able to help those that are in that situation with them. Absolutely. One of the best things that we can do for survivors as people that are walking along survivors or that we can assist survivors with or allow survivors to do is to share their story and to validate their story. Again, I don't know if I've ever had a conversation with a client where I changed their language from domestic violence to intimate partner violence. That's not the point of (laughs) advocacy or therapy. That is null and void, unimportant to them telling their story, right? But oftentimes what we experience with survivors, by them having a supportive person who they can say, this happened and this is how it impacted me. And just to be there to say those, you know, I'm sorry that this happened. I'm here to listen because none of us can fix it. You know, Mm -hmm. as a therapist, I am not a fix it person. Mm -hmm. I'm a, I will hold your pain and I will walk with you, but I don't fix anything. I'm not a neurosurgeon, you know, (laughs) I can't do, I can't fix broken bones or any of that kind of stuff. We walk alongside survivors and any of us can walk alongside a survivor. And what I've seen in research of like neuropathology and the brain and stuff is, and, and just experienced in day-to-day conversations with survivors is that once they have a person, any person in the whole world that believes their story and validates them, oftentimes the healing changes because instantly what happens is our brain is we word negative thinking about ourselves. It's my fault that this violence happened. And instantly when someone says, no, I believe you and I'm with you and I'm so sorry this happened and it's not your fault, our thinking completely changes into this wasn't my fault, right? And and maybe it's still I'm a victim of this, but it, it is able to shift until I'm a survivor of this and and that's what survivors need is to know that this wasn't their fault that it did really happen you know we've talked before about the emotional abuse and the gaslighting and and the manipulation pieces so for all of that to kind of get washed away in a moment and sometimes it happens in just a moment right in which it's like oh and the validation kind of washes over them and it's like I'm a new person And I've seen survivors walk into therapy and advocacy sessions and walk out with completely different body change, body language, the way they view themselves. And sometimes it's beautiful and difficult Mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, Survivors only need one advocacy appointment with us or one therapy session because that mind thinking changed. Well, and once they're believed and you introduce hope into Mm -hmm. the equation Mm -hmm. maybe this is going to get better I have real methods to use to make everything better and I can do it with with help at first but then I can do it yeah so the yeah the first thing we can do is just to walk along survivors and and believe them when they come to us as as wild and outlandish as the stories may be right that they're truth Mm -hmm. I mean I have heard and seen some crazy things And I truly believe all of it happened because I have seen some wild things and it's like, yeah, I mean, we've had survivors um, with just injuries when they've come into shelter and into therapy sessions and stuff that it's just like, I cannot believe someone physically did that to you. Right. And so then it, it really validates like, oh my gosh, people are capable of, of truly horrendous acts. And we know that from, you know, the media from, you know, different areas, but these things, these things really happen. I mean, they truly, really do. And so if we can enter that state of, of believing people when they come to us and share their experiences, that changes the world for survivors, you know? Mm-hmm. And then additionally to that, because that's kind of that 
that's something every single one of us can do. Every listener to this podcast can believe a survivor. And truly, that's the impact we need. Well, and and the intimate partner violence is the middle of the story, not the end of the story. Right. And so, so many times, you know, well, this happened and now that story is over. No, no, no. Now we begin the healing process. And it is so wonderful that an organization like DASIS is here mm-hmm. to begin to help people do that. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that, that that's the middle of the story. I'll probably steal that from you, Claudia. <laughs> I'll try to give you um, acknowledgement in no, future therapy sessions. Needed. I'll be like, this lady I know, she said this great thing, and now I see. I stole something from Dan a while back, too. It was like practice makes perfect. Or There was something right, that we talked about right. on a podcast. I wrote it down, and I use it all the time now. Um, you know, but yes, it's that, right? Like, there's there's another page to the story. There's another chapter. And so let's focus on that. And that's where um, organizations like DASIS come in. You know, we're here to validate and believe whether it's on our phone call or calls on crisis lines or in person. And then for people, for survivors who want the continual work or need the continual work, because every person's an individual, that's when our therapists step in. That's when our advocates step in and are able to provide that long-term service. Because, again, we don't have a cutoff. You know, our termination of services is based on when a survivor is ready to be done with services. When we've seen, and especially therapeutically, um, a total change in survivors. You know, we do assessment when they start. And we talk about, you know, um, depression and anxiety and trauma responses and what's that? what does that look like. And, again, because we are so educated in intimate partner violence, we know the symptoms and the side effects of that. And so we can kind of like you were talking with like medicine, we can go in there very specifically mm-hmm. and treat mm-hmm. this one thing. You know, I think your example was beautiful of, of, you know, like a surgeon with cancer, they can go in and they can remove this part that's hurting someone. And so we don't remove it, but we treat it specifically. We don't kind of, oh, your, your toe hurts, you know, and so we just work on that. You know, we're going to go straight into what's the traumatic response, what's the intimate partner violence, and how how do we help that? Because then it's kind of going to flow from there and there's going to they'll experience healing throughout the rest of who they are. Whereas, yes, other therapists and agencies are tremendously helpful, right, for their specific field as right. well. And right. so for us, it's intimate partner violence. Absolutely. And yeah. so, yeah. And so being able to know resources, you know, if you're hearing from someone or even yourself, you know, Um, that you resonate with what intimate partner violence is, that it's anyone that you've ever had a relationship with or an intimate relationship with who has asserted power and control over your life, you know, an emotional abuse, financial abuse, technology. You know, we used to say that the high schoolers experience so much technology abuse with Facebook and Mm -hmm. Snapchat and Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But young adults and early adults as well, do I see, you know, a lot of my clients that are between 20 and 35 experience technology abuse um, because it's so a part of who they are and that kind of resource. Um, it's nice to see in the headlines maybe people will begin to, technology companies will begin to have to own up to what's been going on too. So And yeah, they try their best, but there's so much, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, mm-hmm. how many, you know, how many people have a, have a Facebook profile and, and a fake pre- Facebook right. profile sure. and, sure. and yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and so all of those pieces that all of those dynamics are still intimate partner violence and that there's hope out there to one, share your story with someone who cares about you to get validation 
But if you don't receive that from people in your life, that there's DASIS, that there are other organizations just like us, that we're here to empower and believe and validate you and then also walk with you for that hope and healing, right? There is hope for a future. There is more chapters left in your book, right? There's more parts of your life left and that we're going we're gonna to work with you to provide healing for this current moment and then hope for the future, hope for your future. That was beautifully said. And I think the perfect way to end this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Elizabeth. And if you, as you're listening, think that you would like to get in touch with DASIS, the number is 1-800-828-2023. And on our website, there is so much great information on the website, dasismi.org. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, D-A-S-A-S-M-I dot org. That's dasismi dot org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan. The views expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily the views of domestic and sexual abuse services.